as of just a couple of days ago, people have started reporting that the Spotify app just stopped working on Linux for users that premium users and free users that have been using it for years. They just open the app. And the Spotify app says, quote, this app is restricted to premium users only error code 409. Right? Even if you're a premium user, you still seem to be getting this error message. And I'm looking through the form here. And it's even as of just a few hours ago, people are having this issue. What are you doing, Spotify? It's an Electron app. Right? It's like a it's like a it's like a really fancy web view. Time to switch to local media. I think they should rewrite it in Rust. Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. Coming up on the show today, for years, for years, the endless debates in Linux drove us crazy. Wayland, should we adopt it, should we not? Systemd, is it the death of Linux or is it not? Which distro is the best? Which desktop environment? Package manager, snaps, flat pack, so on. But more recently... We've actually managed to find a little bit of peace with it all. We'll chat about this inclination for our community to debate endlessly, perhaps why maybe it isn't actually such a bad thing, and our tricks for finding the signal in the noise of all of it. And then we'll round it out with some picks, some boosts, and a lot more. So let's say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale. Go over to Tailscale.com. It's a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. WireGuard. Good morning. You can now get it for free up to 100 devices, and unlimited subnet routing, too. It is such a game changer. I have no inbound ports on any of my firewalls anymore. I sync all of my data over Tailscale to my mobile device, so even when I'm out and about, I have WireGuard protection. Tailscale.com. If you get a chance, tell me Unplugged Program sent you. Tailscale.com. And let's say time-appropriate greetings to our mumble room. Hello, Virtual Lug. Welcome in. Hello, guys. Hello, Chris. Hello, hello, guys. Hello. Hello, Brent. Hey, y'all. What we've got today. Nice to see you in there looking sharp. And hello to you folks up in the quiet listening as well. Nice to have you all on board. Just tag me in the chat room as we go along if you want to jump in on anything we're talking about today. Because I think today could be an episode where we could really use some insight from our mumble room. Uh, so before we get to the main topic of this like endless debate situation, I just wanted to give a quick update on our graphing slash graphing OS usage because I haven't told you guys of some recent developments. I've been saving it for the show. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, we've covered my journey to graphing OS on my Pizel 7. I see you have it here with you today. That's not an iPhone. How long has it been now, Chris? I think like eight months. It's been since last November, I think. Yeah, so, right around Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's a couple of nights ago. Wife and I were out for a little evening walk, and uh, I was mentioning how I still don't really trust mobile devices and mobile phones, and uh, I don't trust them really from a full security standpoint, and I don't really trust them from a hardware standpoint because it's all integrated. So one component failure could take out the entire device. And so anything of real value, like a, a Bitcoin or master password list or all of my notes or all of my wife's notes being just on the phone, I'm uncomfortable with. And I was just, we were just having this conversation and kind of talking about it. Um, and I kind of realized, boy, you know, when I think about it, I sort of feel that way about all my devices right now. Because I no longer use a custom-built desktop. Everything's sort of integrated. One component fails. Potentially, I'm looking at warranty repair, maybe reloading the OS, restoring from backups. Like, it's such a bigger deal than back when I had a custom PC. 
And I could just replace the power supply or the graphics card. And it's not necessarily an entire new machine. Yeah, now you might, that might just be a whole laptop down and you have to buy a whole replacement and get going again. And so I was telling you, this has been a really tricky thing for me because like, I don't really know which machine is my most trusted computer anymore. And I'm thinking, and, and the part of the conversation was, am I just getting old? Is the obvious answer my mobile device? Because I've got this great drafting OS. The Pixel 7 is really good. It's secure. I trust that this is probably one of the more secure devices I own now. I don't have it tied to any Google stuff. See, it's feeling pretty good. But I just can't fully bring myself to trust phones as the place to be my most secure thing for, or even like the stuff that my wife needs for her business that's really private and confidential for her clients. And so this is just something we've been talking about. And then the next morning, this is like Thursday night, we had this conversation. Friday morning, I wake up. My iPhone's totally dead. And I, at first, I don't think much about it. I think, well, you know, this, uh, this wireless puck that the Apple has now hmm. that you use for charging that's magnetic, it's great. This makes the MagSafe power puck adapter. But because it's Apple, like every now and then, for whatever reason, the puck has to be rebooted. And I've paid extra money for the privilege of rebooting my power brick from time to time so that way it charges. So I don't think anything about it. I grab my iPhone, I put it in my pocket, whatever. I got my, I got my Pixel with me, I'll go to work. I get down to the studio and I plug it into like my high power adapter. You know, like my high power Apple adapter. You give it the juice. I give it the full onion. Hold down the buttons, the iPhone doesn't turn on. So I look up, what are my tricks for getting an iPhone to hard reset, boot, etc. Like all the troubleshooting things. So I just plug it into a Mac. So I, you know, I get a freaking lightning cable and I get a freaking Mac out and I get it all set up and I plug it in. Nothing happens. And I go through all of this and I cannot get the iPhone 13 to boot. It is totally dead. Ironically, the morning after we just had the conversation where I said, gosh, I'm not so sure if I trust these mobile devices because one component fails and the whole thing's gone. Then the next freaking morning, my iPhone 13 was dead. And I tried every trick in the book Friday to get it to boot up. But ultimately I was like, screw it. I got the pixel. It's fine. And I go home with my pixel and my graphene and it's my whole, it's my whole uh, setup for the whole weekend this last weekend. And it was fine. It was a really good reminder that these integrated devices shouldn't be fully trusted. Even, even if you get them secure, there's still that issue. I come in this morning, Sunday morning to do the show. And I still had it plugged into the machine. The machine booted up when I sat down and the iPhone turned on. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. Like, I guess maybe it drained itself all the way to zero at that point, And then it turned on. Maybe it was, it was just on holidays. Yeah. Everyone needs a break, Chris. But it's just like, come on. This is a, this is supposed to be a premium product. It's embarrassing. Yeah. And well, especially with, you know, these mobile devices, they get, they're so used for communication and little, little bits of, you know, checking in in your daily life when they suddenly drop away or, yeah. You feel them missing. I was like, man, am I glad that I've been doing this graphing OS stuff because yeah, you have a, a, I had another phone ready to go. So it wasn't really a big deal. Battle tested. The weekend without my phone would have been hard with the kids and stuff. Like it's just, it's tricky. You know, graphing OS continues to just be a, a great, great product. They've just released a new version, uh, which has a bunch of nice little quality of life improvements. And they're testing out this thing called contact scopes which provides a way of granting contacts permissions for apps. So you could, so you could just make sure an app can only see like a couple of your contacts or something like that. It can't suck in all of your contacts once you give it access to that. 
They've also been working on their Google Play compatibility layer, which they call GMS Compat Config. A new version of that was released, and that just seems to be working really well for me. If I need to emulate the Play stuff for a bit and keep it kind of boxed off, I can. Just really, really grateful that I had drafting OS and that I had this pixel when the iPhone died on me like that. But it does bring me back to that core concern of what device do I really trust? Because the same thing could happen to a laptop. You know, even the companies with the best manufacturing standards, these things can happen. These components can fail. And I, I think the thing that would really, really, really be awesome is if I could get Drafting OS on an Android device that had a removable battery. Because the next obvious step with that iPhone would have been, if I could, pop open the back and pop in a new battery. Mm-hmm. And it very well may have resolved it if that thing draining to zero was finally would let me power it back on once, I, once it was plugged in. It just seems for like sustainability and safety and reliability and all these things, a little bit more bulk to have a removable battery, ultimately, as these become more important in our lives, I think it matters more than ever. But if we're just so not going in that direction. So I guess, you know, back up your devices is the moral of the story. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of forced to do that. It's almost a parallel version of some of the, you know, the cloud stuff. You got to assume like, well, this could fail at any time. I need to make sure I've got stuff synced. I've got a, a plan for how to get it all back going quickly when I do need to swap over. Obviously, on the desktop side, you know, we've got tools like Ansible and Nix that can help a lot with that, but it can be a bit trickier in the mobile world. You know, Chris, I've been thinking about this topic for too long in the same way as you, but with all of my traveling, as you used to give me a hard time for, I used to travel with two phones and one of them was simply a backup and wasn't an active second phone like yours. Uh, But I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And I think, you know, Wes, you just mentioned doing backups, but I find even doing backups from a phone. Now I have mostly just Android experience, but uh, that process, if you don't want to be a part of the Google ecosystem is a rather difficult one and it's not straightforward. And it means that I'm, you know, for myself running a device that actually feels a little precarious, even though I'm doing the most that I can to like, you know, auto sync things like photos and stuff like that. But there's so much in a phone that is required for you to just get going. You know, if, if one of my phones gets run over by a dump truck, well, it's not actually that straightforward to move over to a new one where I feel like if that was the case with my laptop with such more advanced backup strategies and just more open, uh, it would actually be quite quick to get back up and running. So I feel like we need to make better progress in that area just to make it easier, switch from one to the other. Linode.com slash unplugged. Go check out the new exciting news from Linode, now part of Akamai. All the developer tools that we love, like the cloud manager that's been beautifully designed, the API with documentation and libraries for every language you could want in the command line client that makes it possible for me to just drop down a UAC terminal, take a snapshot of a rig or upload some files to object storage, flip them public. I love all the tooling. That tooling, that reach is only getting better now. They're expanding their services to offer more cloud computing resources and tools while providing that classic, reliable, affordable, and scalable solutions for users, everyday users, and businesses of all sizes. We use it for everything we've deployed in the last few years. It's public. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, they're expanding in their data centers worldwide. They're investing big, giving you access to even more resources in more locations for yourself or friends, customers, clients for your business. 
So go check them out for the resources to grow your business and serve your customers. Why wait? Go experience the power of Linode now Akamai. You go to linode.com slash unplugged. Get that $100 in 60-day credit. Support the show and learn how Linode now Akamai can help you scale your applications from the cloud all the way to the edge. And I'm talking like the tippity edge, like Brent's house up there in Canada. Linode.com slash unplugged. Please, please stop using Xorg with Asahi Linux. Those were the words from Hector Martin recently over on Mastodon. He went on to say, it's all but unmaintained, broken in fundamental ways that cannot be fixed, unsuited to modern display hardware, like these machines, and we absolutely do not have the bandwidth to spend time on it. We strive for a quality desktop on Apple Silicon, but we have to pick and choose our battles very carefully because we can't single-handedly fix all the problems in the entire Linux desktop ecosystem. Yes, some Xorg things might work better on other platforms. That doesn't mean Xorg isn't broken. It means those other platforms have spent years working around Xorg's failings. We don't have time for that. Distributions in major desktop environments are already dropping Xorg support, and it's pointless to try to support it well today on a brand new platform. Yeah, this debate has once again really come up. The whole, is Wayland worth it? It seems like every every few months, at least, if not more often, this debate kind of just comes percolating around. We've even seen some companies like Rustdesk, which I previously liked a lot, just completely write off Wayland and say, no, we're not even going to bother. We're never, just not even on our radar. And you see arguments too, like, uh, for streamers that want to get 60 frame per second video capture in OBS, they have issues with Wayland, right? It's not 100% for every desktop environment. Things like RetroArch don't have window decorations. Genome is probably the furthest along, Plasma with a pretty close second. But then it kind of gets worse from there for the traditional desktop environments, with really the only desktop environments that really shine are the ones that were built Wayland first in the last few years. And so it does feel like there's legitimate arguments to be made on the why are we even bothering with Wayland? It's, it's taking so damn long. Why even bother? Let's make X11 work instead. And I can I can appreciate that it might feel like getting trolled a bit to some users of the community where you you're, you keep getting told, stop using this. Move on. We've got a thing for you. You know, it's Wayland now. This is the, the future. This is where you should be going. And then you try it and you realize, yeah, okay, well, this, this can't work for all my use cases or doesn't yeah. now or has anyone else run into this? Why doesn't that why doesn't that work? Hector actually, he quite literally said at one point, quote, deal with it. You know, like not every random app or feature you want on Xorg will have a whaling equivalent, quote, deal with it. The major players in the desktop links have decided to move on from Xorg. And if you want to go against the tide, you're on your own. And I think people hear that, like you're saying, they hear just deal with it. And they're like, okay, well, I guess I'll go check it out. It must be functional now if they're telling me I just have to deal with it. And then your favorite thing, some edge case, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of right. You know, the people that are pushing back, they're kind of right. But I feel like it might be one of those chicken and egg problems. You know, if the features aren't there, if we had more people there, then maybe there would be more attention paid to implementing some of those features or alternatives to them. You know, for myself, that was one of the tricks to moving to Wayland full time was, well, things like VNC, you know, a year ago were kind of super rough or not available at all and screencasting and all of that. So, but the more we move over to these new technologies, 
especially considering everyone else, you know, is starting to have consensus in that direction, then the more people are there, the more attention it gets, the quicker development happens and the, the better it becomes for everyone in the long term. It makes me think, do we need some, some better docs or better ways of, you know, like is, is Wayland ready yet for your use case? It feels like it can be kind of tricky, like Brent's saying, like unless you're, you know, you're keeping up, you're following a particular guide for a particular disco, maybe Fedora, right, is a, a place where that's kind of shepherds users a little better here than, than other places. But if you're not tuned in, you don't know that, okay, yes, here's how VNC, here's how you're supposed to do remote desktop. Here's how it's gotten better in the last little bit. And you're just left wondering, like, does it work? I've heard some people got it working on some forums or over on Reddit, but I don't, I don't know how to reliably do it myself versus Vex11. You know, you Google how to set up VNC for Linux and there's a thousand tutorials yeah. out there. And, there's, and nothing's really clear that says like, hey, man, maybe this doesn't work for your setup anymore. It's, you know, so you might be on Wayland and you're looking up some article on how to do VNC and they just naturally assume you're on X11 because that's how it's been forever. And there's nothing that even says it doesn't work on Wayland. And then right. you go to try it, it, it doesn't function. I wonder if we shouldn't just kind of like pop up the Metastack one level and just kind of ad admit that desktop Linux occasionally has crap sandwiches that it serves up. And one of those crap sandwiches is regressions. And the truth of using free software is sometimes we go backwards before we go forwards, but it's to retrench and build it in a way that is more sustainable. It's also, is it sort of a, a sister to, you know, we, we sometimes have issues or, or end up talking about things that we might not in the commercial space because, you know, open source development happens out in the open. We get to see the fights. We get to see oh, the yeah, discussions. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a thing. And here, you know, you get to try the software. You get to use the software. All the different integrators and distributions kind of pick and choose when things happen. People like us on shows are talking about the latest stuff, maybe pressuring you to use it. And it's there, so you can try it, and you can get burned in a way that, you know, in the commercial world, the only way you're going to get access to stuff that's maybe not quite ready is in some beta that you have to acknowledge could be broken. And, you know, if that's what ships to you eventually, it's on the proprietor, not necessarily on you. Yeah. Yeah, I think, too, it's, it is definitely a bit of the sausage factory is just, like, out there for everybody to see. And so we do see that. I think also it is possible in free software for anyone who's properly motivated and educated, and it's even more available for a really popular piece of software for anybody to fork. And if it's something that's really, really, you know, used by a large community and they get a lot of value out of it, that large community will even self-organize to maintain it. We don't have that even as an option with commercial software. And I think in the short term, especially as desktop Linux users, we can find some of this behavior aggravating and frustrating and feeling like it's slowing down progress. Like, why can't everybody just get on Wayland and Pipewire and we're all on ButterFS? But the reality is, is that it's a much more organic process where somebody or a group of people who really believe in something can continue to use that and that makes their workflow continue to operate. And it's kind of the ultimate software insurance policy that they just don't even have available to them with commercial software. And so if we were to take that kind of choice and that flexibility and that freedom away for the sake of focus and the speed of development to be competitive, we would be removing one of the fundamental counter benefits to the way commercial software is developed. Right. You're not stuck in a world where you don't have to just say like, oh, I don't like the new version of Windows. I'm just not going to install it because those are my two options. Like, take what's new or stick on what's old, right? Here you the whole reason Hector's making a post like this is because people, they, you can still choose X11 if that's what's still working best for your particular use case. 
Yeah. And I think in the case of the M1 systems, it makes the most sense just to focus on going forward and not trying to make the old system work better. Um, and, you know, upstream has moved on. So there is this reality, just in the regards of the Wayland discussion, there's this reality that Red Hat isn't really paying anybody to write code for X11 anymore. So therefore, no one is really right paying anybody anymore to work on X11. Every now and then, Wes and I talked about it on LAN a while ago. Every now and then, an old timer, this is le legitimately how it works now, an old timer, and I say that with all respect, becoming an old timer myself over time, comes out of the woodwork and does like some sort of like save the day patch set for X11, just kind of drops it and says, here, have it. And then walks away again for another five, 10 years. And like, that's how X11 development's getting done right now. And what they are focused on is X Wayland. And they're focused on making X Wayland a full X11 replacement that could run on top of Wayland. That's what Red Hat's resources are going into. So that's essentially what Upstream's resources are going into. So the reality on the ground is Wayland is the only thing getting resources going forward, including X Wayland. And so there is a transition that needs to happen. But that crap sandwich exists. You know, if you want your 60 frame per second capture for your OBS video games on the Twitch.tv, yeah, it might not be there yet. We're doing a Wayland setup here for our OBS streaming. We it's sure not, are. It's not perfect, perfect, but it's pretty much exactly what we need for the basic streaming that we do. We're live streaming on NixOS, Plasma, and Wayland using Pipewire. The whole brand new stack on this OBS machine. And it can absolutely be done. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles, mm -hmm. but... I don't know, I guess you just sort of live within your means on that kind of stuff. And it, it ends up working in the end. Right. Chris, you shared a software analogy that I really appreciated, along with a moving train. And I thought, could you dig into that? Because I thought that was such a <laughs> nice way to see. Oh, I thought so. How open source software. I thought software. it was a slightly, okay, well, I thought it was a slightly tortured metaphor. Ooh, but, sorry, <laughs> everyone. No, it's okay. It's one of the, it does kind of convey the idea. And the Wayland gets criticized for taking, you know, 15 years or whatever to get done. It's but, only been 14. Okay. But in, in free software, when you build it right, that thing can last forever. We may end up using Wayland for 40 years or more. And so if it took 14 years before it became the default, when you're at the end of that 40, 45 year time span and you look back, does it really seem that ridiculous that it took that 14 years? Because it wasn't like it just, the code got thrown over the fence and it just sat there and then we slowly adopted it. It has been improving during that 14 years. And the, the tortured analogy was, essentially, it's a basic freight train that carried a basic set of cargo in the beginning, but that train has been in motion for 14 years. And during that 14 years, they're building the train with more and more features and capabilities, essentially more APIs and more things that it supports. And it can carry different types of cargo. And now we're 14 years into that train running nonstop, and it can carry just about all types of cargo that we care about with just a few minor exceptions. And when you look back 40, 45 years from now, and you look at a general purpose display server platform, it's not going to seem that ridiculous that it took 15, 16 years to reach all the edge cases, especially when the desktop Linux user is like one of the least important focuses for most of these developers to begin with. And that's just the hard reality we have to live with. And that's why we get the crap sandwiches sometimes. But at the same time, it's a very nourishing crap sandwich because we get a great general platform that we can use for free that provides. So it's just the process. And it's kind of how I've come to peace with it. I'm wondering, Brett, I'd actually like to ask you, do you find it still frustrating sometimes? Is this a piece you have found? Did you come to it sooner than I did? 
Yeah. So I find I have the benefit of, you know, playing in this Linux space every single day and not all users of the desktop Linux have that benefit. And so I find if I'm getting frustrated by some of these technologies, you know, and their implementation taking a little while, well, for those who don't even know the intricacies of why this is important or why it's taking so long, I, I would imagine I'm not the only one who's frustrated by this. So uh, I don't know if it's like a bigger communication problem or like everyone needs to come together and say, hey, let's go in that direction. So in a way, this post by Asahi recently is kind of like, oh, yeah, right. Everyone should be headed in that direction and we shouldn't just be kind of stagnating. Yeah, I think my my Zen comes from the fact that I can zoom out and I can see these things go in the right direction over time. Have you come to peace with this, Wes? Do you get frustrated when we talk about these things that take forever? Like, I think, uh, I think one that maybe would you maybe consider frustrating like I do is Butterfest. You know, early on, it wasn't great. I criticized it. I lost data to it. But that also generated years of FUD, of articles and blog posts and opinion makers that now generate so much hate today. And these opinions have just become entrenched. But the objective reality is the source code for ButterFS has seen enormous improvements over the last few years. And if you don't like reassess and, and listen to people you trust, you won't find the signal. Like you, you can, you can, you can get really kind of lost in the noise. And I, I got to imagine you find that frustrating. Yeah. Especially I think over a long, you know, a long life cycle of a project, which we especially see in free and open source software. You know, maybe maybe Butterfest hasn't become exactly the sort of ZFS killer that, you know, was was overly promised on Reddit way back when a decade and, ago. And honestly, neither do we need it to be. That's just it. And if you if that's your the only view you stick with, you kind of lose sight of, okay, well, but maybe I don't use it for that, but there's a whole bunch of other things I can use it for that will be useful to me, especially since it's it just pretty much comes ready to go for you in the kernel you're you're already running. And so yeah. I think I find it useful to not Think of it as like a cold turkey switch, you know, because these are free and open source, because we have some control over our systems, you can you can try things out and switch over or have multiple setups. I'm thinking about, you know, as Pipeware, which admittedly has been one of the better transitions for, you know, in the Linux desktop space, I think. Um, but there was, you know, plenty of time where it was really early and I would have it on systems, but I would I would use Pulse for just, you know, whatever, browsing YouTube and using my laptop normally. And then when I wanted to play around with Pipewire, I just turned Pulse off, turned Pipewire on and, and you know, I knew I learned how to roll back and you know same thing with with x11 you can you can use x11 when it's what works best for your case and you can have a whole you know just another login session or a whole dual boot your laptop or a separate machine for you know when you want to play with wayland and then just make sure you do keep checking in because this stuff changes a lot and it can be hard to get an accurate summary it's so practical it almost feels like it shouldn't need to be said but then obviously somebody out there needs to hear this and it feels to me like the uh, the just obvious way to kind of tack this would be, I would look at the signal here and the signal is upstream isn't really focused on this anymore. Uh, Carl, you had a comment in the chat room that I wanted to bring forward. Yeah, of course. I pointed out that the X11 and Wayland are both from the Xorg project. The Wayland devs were X11 devs and they're basically done with it. They don't want to work on it anymore. They're focused on Wayland. Uh, so in some ways, you know, I kind of think if would it have been a better transition or easier for people to think about as a transition, as a natural evolution, if they had just named it X12? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and that's just, it's, that's the signal right there. Think about it like that. 
the it, the devs have kind of moved on. They're not really working on this anymore. If you just change the words in your mind from Wayland to X12, does it become something you actively want to push against, or does it just become a natural inevitability that you wait for the moment where it's right for you? Another kind of funny thing that came up, I, I noticed on uh, on on uh, Mastodon that, uh, oh sorry, the Fediverse that the Xorg account they posted uh, per the bylaws, does the board need to vote on a rename uh, to be more accurate? Should we become the freedesktop.org, Mesa, Wayland, and Linux in a trench coat shilling for Xorg Foundation? <laughs> I'd love to see the logo for that. <laughs> I want somebody to get on that. That'd be pretty good. So just think for me, the long-term thing is, is kind of looking at some of the fundamentals, like what the developers are saying, what they're recommending, where they see things going, what trusted voices are saying in the community. And then kind of from that deriving what seems to be the likely long, long-term kind of outcome. And um, you can kind of just from that figure out where things are going. And it just seems inevitable. If you think about like Wayland, you think about the ButterFS and those types of things, why fight it? Just accept it and use it where it makes sense. I feel like another tip we should probably give and remind ourselves is we need to challenge our own opinions. You know, an opinion you gathered uh, maybe five years ago about Wayland is going to be very different than the opinion you probably should have these days. It's changed so much. And I feel like in some areas, you know, we talk about r slash linux quite a bit but sometimes i read opinions and they feel so outdated and so it's important for us i think as a reminder to keep looking into these projects and saying okay where are they now it's been a year i should update the opinion i have about this thing that i wasn't so sure about you know but our is a great example of that years and years ago it was like well maybe i should just be cautious about it but these days especially with all the updates that we've been getting these last six months it's like actually this is looking really good so just try not to get stuck in those opinions and challenge yourself a little bit. Yeah, I would, ref I would refine that tip just a little bit and be I would be a little more on the point and say, if your opinion is older than a year old, it's mm. time to update it. Because one or two releases of these desktop environments, they can fundamentally improve their Wayland support. Or one or two years of ButterFS support has made tremendous progress from where it was five years ago. So if your opinion's getting to be about a year old or so on something, I think that the, the tip to take away here is check back in on it. And since it's free, it just takes time. And if you don't have the time to check back in on it, then maybe just stick out of the conversation in general. Just sit back and let things go, right? And let, Because we get all these opinions mixed in with an open source kind of community thing, and it can create kind of drag on the entire process. So if you don't have the time to update yourself, maybe don't be involved in the discourse. Which is, you know, something we try to apply to ourselves, too. So I do like your focus on sort of looking at the developers because, you know, we're, we're a community and you can keep using the old tools. But if you're if you have new problems to solve and you need support, you kind of have to engage with the, you know, where where things are going, even if it's just to, you know, keep a prize so you can learn. That's where the future is headed. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Go there to get started with a free trial for yourself or an enterprise plan. It's bitwarden.com slash Linux. Bitwarden is the easiest way for yourself or a business to store, share, and sync sensitive data. I use it for usernames, my passwords, my two-factor authentication tokens, recovery phrases, payment details, things that you really care about, stuff you want end-to-end -end encrypted with zero-knowledge encryption. That's what Bitwarden does. And they make it really easy to snap into an enterprise, fully customizable, 
with different features using just your enterprise policies to adapt it to your need. As an end user, you're going to love the fact that it's open source and trusted by millions in the community. And if you're on something else and you're looking to change, bitwarden.com slash migrate. They make it silly easy. You'll wonder why you didn't do it sooner. I did it a few years ago. Wes before me, uh, I feel silly for not having done it sooner. And I love that they keep adding great features that make it easy for me to have my personal, my work, and the open source projects totally separate. That's uh, chef's kiss brilliant right there. They just keep iterating and making it better and better. So go try it out and support the show. Just go to bitwarden.com slash Linux. Get it for free for yourself or for a business at bitwarden.com slash Linux. Chris, when I left the studio earlier this week, I noticed the morning I left, there was a quite a nice box that was sitting there waiting for it. But I didn't tear it open. You know, I respect your privacy, but it seemed like wow. it might be something exciting. Uh, what did it end up being? Is it something special? Oh, this is so delightful. We we really have the best audience and we've gotten some great hardware sent into the studio recently. One hot tip, though, if you send it in, put a little note in there, even if it's just with your name or your matrix ID or something, so we can make sure we tie it to what comes in. But Rotten Mood sent in an Odroid H3 Plus. And you guys know what a big fan I am of these Odroid H3s. Mm -hmm. He bought one for himself for a project that didn't quite work out, so he wanted to send it in so we could put it into pretty good use, as we will. 64 gigs of RAM on this sucker. He sent in three cases with it, one Type 1 case, one Type 3 case. And then I guess one off Etsy, which looks really nice. And he also included a 19 volt brick, which is very handy. And uh, a 15 volt power brick as well, as well as some casing for some SSDs and uh, looks like 128 gig EMMC as well. I actually, I opened it up this morning, but I haven't tore into all of it because I haven't, I hadn't been here previously, but it came in two boxes and uh, the smaller box in there uh, has the Etsy case and I mean, it just looks really nice. The way you packaged everything, too, is really great. Um, so now we have to brainstorm what to do with this Odroid. I have an idea. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot I could do, right? I was like, going to say, I don't think we'll have a problem with that. We just have to compete with them. Uh, what's the best idea? I, what, what, I, I, I kind of like oh. the idea of um, putting it in the studio because it's silent and it's fairly powerful mm -hmm. and it's x86 compatible. and I feel like we are an afternoon and a half away from a headless Linux powered soundboard that uses a stream deck as the Ooh, UI. I right? like it. And then if we could, and the way we could do it is we could obviously have it hooked up to the board. We could, you know, take the spot that the soundboard uses now. Maybe we do it over the network, but I could see us using it as a, as a headless soundboard that's just there running all the time. And then we could eliminate one of the machines from the studio. And presumably we could all have access to it if, yeah. we, you know, even when remote. Mm -hmm. And then when we're remote, the sounds would play from the studio, which would be fantastic because they would be a lot higher quality and they would be in sync with the stream lifetime. So and, you know, if I get like if I have if I have some sort of packet disruption and I want to play a clip, if it's playing from the studio, then that clip plays clean without packet loss. So that's it. There's a lot of advantages. Um Plus, it's just so cool. It would be really great. So that's one thing that's on my mind. I've also thought about building a new dedicated Reaper machine. Right. It'd be a fun platform to have just in the sense you were talking about earlier in the show of, you know, stuff can fail. And at least here with an Odroid, you could yeah. be feasible to have a backup one ready to go that we just, you know, slap the image yeah. on or run the next 
config and go. Still very, very happy with my Odroid too. Really, really glad I got that Odroid. And so it's really nice to have another one in here. We'll put it to good use. Now we have something really kind of special coming up. We have another birthday coming up on the pod. It was just Wes's birthday not too long ago, but coming up pretty soon. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. It's going to be Mr. Brunch's birthday. Brent's big birthday next episode on our live day. It's true. I don't think that's ever happened, so I'm quite excited about it. Live birthday? Mm Mm-hmm. And for no particular reason, if you boost in with 28,000 sats on the nose, uh, we will auto-mark those as birthday boosts for Brent to be read in the show. And that'll be the denomination for, for no particular reason, 28,000 sats. I'm looking forward to that. I think depending on what comes in, we should do something special with those and, uh, I don't know, get crazy. Hmm, mm. Some sort of gluten-free cake for Brent, perhaps. <laughs> Is there any gluten-free cake that's... Isn't that like cake, mostly gluten and that kind of... <laughs> what do you call it when you take out the gluten? It's not cake. I don't know. I like pie more than cake anyways. All right. There we go. I can get down on a good pie. All right. Well, let's get into the boost this week. So uh, we've recently been talking on the show about how uh, as we round into next quarter and into the second half of 2023, the ad market has pretty much collapsed with the exception of like the really crappy dynamic ads and like your real basic kind of pre-manufactured ads. And so what we're going to do here at JB is instead of going with just kind of some of the crappier ads, because that's just not personally something I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. It's not what our our brand is about. We're going to reduce our show load. We're probably going to have to cut one or two shows at least. And, uh, we're going to focus on the shows that we think we can get the most community support around. And LUP is obviously one of those. Uh, I, ho- I hope to be doing Linux Unplugged uh, until uh, I can see these guys in their, you know, 50s and 60s. I think they're going to be adorable old men. I will be a crank and probably on life support, but <laughs> I'll stick in just to get to see you two as adorable old men. Well, what about like a Futurama style head in a vat? Ooh. I'm totally down for with that. With a VR headset on. I'm actually, with the way things are going these days, thinking it's more likely I'm going to be an AI presence that just is here antagonizing you guys constantly. <laughs> Who gave Chris bot access to production? And so we've been asking the community to help support us as much as they can, uh, because as we kind of go into this, we're trying to figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work. And we committed to reading the total boost amounts on the show. And when we get a million sats an episode, then the audience gets to pick a topic, the top booster of that. So we'll get to the total amount here in a bit. But let's start with our first baller boost this week from Eric Walker at 1,031,427 sats. Putting us at the million sat mark. With the first boost this week, absolutely unbelievable. It was across four boosts, of course, but they write, Chris and JB Crew, I started listening to JB about four years ago, and I haven't missed an episode of Linux Unplugged, Land, Self-Hosted, Office Hours, Jupiter Extras, TechSnap, Linux Headlines, or Work Life and RV since. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's so funny to me when Work Life and RV gets the plug, you know, like, I did like a handful of those like three years ago, and I'm still hearing about it, which is just amazing. Uh, kind of makes me think I missed something there. Uh, anyway, he says, I love to listen to a good episode, uh, number of unfiltered episodes and a wide range of podcasts daily, but I get behind due to travel or other commitments. I find the JB shows are the first ones I want to catch up on because they're the ones I enjoy the most. Wow. Thank oh. you. We do strive for that. We want to be your first tap. I uh, also says, I feel that they're the ones I'm the most invested in. I've never reached out to any podcast before, 
but hearing your upcoming financial issues prompted me to consider the value I get out of all your hard work. So here's my first boost ever What to show you my appreciation for all you've done over the last four years. I also joined Jupiter.Party to support you all going into the future. Wow. Thank you. Here's to hoping you don't have to pause any shows. Well, wow. I mean, that is an incredible amount of support, Eric. That is, I mean, it really, when people reach out and it's the first time they've ever boosted, it's the first time they've ever contacted us, or it's the first time they've ever contacted a podcast in general, that really hits me hard. And it's amazing because I also have never, ever reached out to a podcast until the boost came along. And then I started boosting podcasts and, you know, sending in notes and stuff. And I just think it's an incredible connection. So thank you so much. Uh, he said he did try to boost in for several days to the podcast index, but had some errors, but did get it through with Podverse. Yeah, I was, I was juggling like a madman this week. You know, so it, the Lightning Network is you have to have the capacity ready. And so what I do is when we get a bunch of boosts, I take those sats and I reinvest them into additional uh, channel capacity. So as they were coming in, I was opening more channels. But frickin' Brent over there with his uptime on Linode has beat my node out as a as a higher ranked node because <laughs> mine's a self-hosted node and his is on linode and so his is rated better and so the boost started getting routed through his load his low node his like you know low mid node meanwhile i got my big dog node up here that's totally getting bypassed so i had to like go around and like fix a bunch of stuff but it was a good educational experience you know a little chaotic damn linode node yeah so we're getting it all sorted out it's actually getting in a pretty good spot and I'm figuring things out. It's been a good educational process. Add thanks for, uh, you know, not only figuring out all the stuff you got to figure yes. out to get here, but also persevering through all of our ups and downs. Yes, thank you. Yes, because, you know, there's times, too, when I'm working on this and, oh, my God, just really quick aside. So I spent, uh, you know, probably about four or five hours across two days here and there getting the node in really great shape. And then the next morning, Comcast took our Internet down on and off all day. So we couldn't get any boosts in because, again, self-hosted, downsides to self-hosting these things, right? The upside was is I could read the boost directly off the server and I could still show prep for the Bitcoin dad pod. So I could still do my work. So that was the upside. You know, it's just sounds like another nudge towards a second Internet source for that node. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what we need to do is get uh, Starlink down here. So what you could do is when you're visiting, you could park your van outside. Right. And then we could hook up your Starlink that you're going to inevitably have as our second internet source Ooh. here at the studio. So you better just, get, ra just route it through Brent. You better get on that, Brent. Better get on that. Brent. All right. Danny 42 comes in with some McDucks. This old duck still got it. 222,222 sats. So someone thought they could come and outdo me in the last episode and boost more than I did. Well, game on. Here's some McDucks now. In all seriousness, wouldn't it be a cool idea if we could link JB memberships to a Lightning Network address? That way, people who are boosting, say, around 60 sats, 60,000 sats or so, could enjoy an ad-free experience. I think we'll get there one day. Mm -hmm. There will be tooling around that. This suggestion is driven by my personal detest for subscription services. Yep, that's definitely one of the things we have the boost oriented at, right? Like, the memberships are fantastic because during the boom times, they let us say no to, like, all these people that want to throw money at us to have people on the shows or run their stupid ads. We got the members and we can say, no, we're good. And then in the downtimes, like the members actually sustain us and keep us going. So the memberships are super important, but the boosts allow for per episode support. And for people who don't want to do subscriptions anymore, it's also another great avenue. So I, I totally get that. He has a topic suggestion for a Rust only challenge for an entire week. 
we can only use apps that are written in Rust. Of course, with the kernel and the desktop excluded. Uh, but everything from like the terminal to your core utilities should be written in Rust. So like, goodbye, LS. Hello, Exa. Hmm. Can we find a Rust-based browser? I'm going to write it down. I, that's an interesting idea. A, a week in Rust. And how far could you get? And are the tools there yet? That would be my question. We will determine if you are the winner. Hybrid Sarcasm comes in with 100,000 sats. I hoard that which your kind covet. Here's a boost for the 1 million sat challenge. I think it would be neat to have a crossover episode with the Bitcoin dad, perhaps an exploration of how dad uses Linux to manage his, wor his workflows, including Bitcoin. If dad doesn't use Linux, then this episode would be an opportunity for a FOSS conversation. What do you think? Oh, it could be fun. Yeah, that could be because he right now he does use Linux and right now is debating switching from Pulse Audio to Pipewire oh. as a way to get like multi-track recording support and route audio and things like that. And of course, one of the conversations like which distro is the right one to use for this. And yeah, so we'll see. All right. Sarcasm. I'm writing that down. I'm writing that down. I love the idea that somehow the Bitcoin dad's using exclusively a Windows stack. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny considering uh, his job and all. Wink Meow comes in with 78,660 sats. It says, this is my zip code boost. I may be biased, but I have to give a plus one to the Austin barbecue. Thanks for all the great content. Well, Wes, I have a hint right there as to where that zip code is, but uh, what's the official? Yeah, that's right. 78660 is a postal code in Travis County, Texas which includes Austin. I mean, I'm not trying to be incendiary when I say this, but I think there is great barbecue out there. Mm -hmm. And then there is some of the barbecue in Austin, Texas, which is survival of the fittest elite versus elite, which has produced a market for the best barbecue in the country. And I just think it's the reality of the market dynamics down there. And I think the meat speaks for itself. And if you haven't been, I don't think you can argue. How about this? What if, what if we get some barbecue boosts, you know, just boost it and let us know, you know, I mean, I think eventually Lobby for the barbecue, we got to love. We clearly at some point, maybe for episode, I don't know, 600, we got to solve this. And there's only one way to truly solve this is I need to put my mouth. We got to figure out everybody tell us the best barbecue. We'll make a list. We'll pick out a top three that everybody sends oh, in. We'll do a tour. And then we go put our mouths on it. Brent will just have to go meet hungry for a couple of days. <laughs> we'll put our mouths on it and we'll come back with a definitive opinion. I mean, I believe it's going to be Austin, Texas, but I am willing to be proven wrong. The problem you're going to have is a lot of people in other states outside of Texas, you're going to say the best barbecue, and they're just going to write in about their best barbecue sauce because that's what barbecue <laughs> is to them. Oh, oh, savage, savage. Soul Penguin Man boosts in with 55,555 cents. I hoard that which your kind covet. Longtime listener, first time booster. I recently got an Odroid H3 Plus and decided to design... The Linux Unplugged case. And uh, there's an included Git repo, which includes STL files if you want to make one of these really neat looking cases for yourself. How awesome that is, is unbelievable. this? So it is a legit, straight up, professional looking case for the Odroid H3. And it's got a glorious orange Linux Unplugged logo on the top that's kind of embossed into the case. To quote from the repo, I wanted it to have roughly the same layout as a Mac Mini 
which left me with quite some unused space. To practice some CAD and add ventilation, I designed a fan system with two Noctua fans and a couple of ducts. So it looks, it's, it's pretty fancy. You know, I'm really glad he boosted in so we, this, was, this was on our radar because the amount of work that went into this, we need to see this. We also got a greetings wow. from Gothenburg, Sweden. <laughs> That's so awesome. I want this so bad. And it looks really good. I like that power button, too. You know, this is a pretty decent little, like, if you had it in a case like that, you take the Odroid and you put it in a case like that, all of a sudden it doesn't seem so silly to use it in the studio, does it? It sure does not. I mean, it's branded. Perfect. Right. I was picturing mounting it to the bottom of the table, but psh, that's just too beautiful. Thank you, Saul. That was fantastic. Root is God, Busin, with 50,000 sats. Thanks for introducing me to Tailscale. It's so darn useful to make self-hosted and cloud-based systems appear on the same virtual LAN. Truly, no more firewall rules. Amazing. I mean, what else is there to say? Amen. Yeah, it's good stuff. It really is. I, the mesh, mesh VPN is so the way to go. And Tailscale and Nebula and Headscale and those types of things, they make it so much better than it was even just a few years ago. It's fantastic, too, to put in VMs. Like, I'll have a VM running here for something we're testing for the show, and I can just leave the VM here. I used to, like, put it on a laptop or try to, like, upload it to my home server. Now I just leave the VM going, and I just remote into it over Tailscale. It's... Yeah, VMs, containers, sidecars, use it for CI stuff. Like, it's, it's handy everywhere. Wolfman2G1 comes in with 50,000 sats. Just another nudge for that ham episode. I'll sweeten the deal with this. I currently run an APRS. The Digipeter. Digipeter that uses Linux to send APRS packets to APRF.fi. Ham operators in the area use it for things like position reporting and weather reporting. Technically, you don't need a license if the only thing you're doing is receiving and relaying APRS.fi. Okay. All right. But if I retransmit, but I also retransmit, which does require a license. If you retransmit, that will. You don't need to get a lot to get started. I just began with a Raspberry Pi and a $20 5-watt radio. This is a segment I really, again, feel like we need... We've been getting this suggestion for like 492 episodes, so I really kind of feel like we should do it, but we, I would really like to have a ham person here in studio that kind of walks us through it. We need a guide, yeah. We're so... Yeah, the fact that... Okay, what I really do appreciate, though, about Wolfman's Boost is he kind of told me how I could do it without having to get a license. Cause that's what I need for me is I need to start playing with it and get motivated enough to then get my butt out there to get something testing. needs to get you hooked. Right. So you're willing yeah. to invest, you're willing to study, you're willing to learn. Yeah. And that's why I love stuff over IP because there's just, there's no gatekeeper and I can just start learning and experimenting right away. But you know, like I was saying the other day when they had the internet out here at the studio and my iPhone was dead. So I had my Pizel, but do I like want to tether the entire network? off of my Pizel that I pay per megabyte for? No, not really. And I started thinking, God, I wish I had some sort of backup method. The ham radio guys were like, yeah, we're out here. We're out here. We're out here. I feel like this Digipeter that uses Linux, A, has a great name. B, is the Linux angle we've been looking for. That's really what we've been looking for is that tie-in. Yeah. So this might be the one. Delirman comes in with 46,000 sats, and that is their postcode, which doesn't look like a postcode I recognize. I think you have to add a zero in there somewhere, Wes. So, were you able to compute their location? Computing. <laughs> uh, appears to be a postal code in Altenburg, Germany. 
Oh, fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for boosting in all the way across the I thought that looked a little like uh, probably outside the States. Size Admin comes in with 38,000 sats. Here's another high from Olsa Norway. Uh, reliant on Nix is probably excessive, but how can you return from doing a Git pull and a Nix update to have the latest packages with personal settings and colors, no matter the distro? It replaces apt at home, DNF at work, but most impressively, it even works as a drop-in replacement for brew on Mac for terminal tools. Yeah, that's huge, right? It sure is. Yeah, Wes has been able to build some really awesome scripts that basically leverage Nix and make it a lot more cross-platform. It's so handy to know you just need that one thing. And then if it's in Nix, I mean, you can set up a little, you know, a little shell environment really quick. You don't have to worry about it. If someone else already has Nix, they don't have to fuss with whatever particular thing or deal with Python packages, which is really never fun for people that don't do a lot of Python. So Nix is a lot to learn. But once you learn the Nix language, you can manage a Nix OS machine elegantly, but you can lift the Nix language itself to any distro and Mac OS too, and probably Windows if you're a maniac. And you can you can then use that that same knowledge set and that same language and expressions and those same config files on those platforms. And it's not, you know, at that point it's not such a huge commitment to learn. It's actually kind of reasonable when you consider the scope of what it lets you do. It's especially nice, I think, on the Mac because it just it makes me feel a little more at home on a yeah. somewhat foreign and uh, hostile system. Todd from Northern VA boosted in with 22,222 sats. And I think you know what that is, Chris. Thank you very much. And here's something for your trouble. I'm going to call the Daffy Duck boost. Thank you, Todd. He says he's boosting in to get us over that million in boost hump. Aw, thank you. Our good friend, listener Jeff, Torched Escape, boosted in 20,001 Satoshis, saying, I love the million sat challenge, but I think we can do better than that. I'm boring and don't have good topic ideas, but I'm Not super true. tempted to game the system. Just a troll. Small boost for today, but maybe this ruffles some feathers and we see some proper large boosts coming in and trolling. I also am loving this bounty boost idea. Maybe there can be a web page showing the current bounties and their progress. A dedicated lightning address for each bounty would be cool for detailed stats and sort of an audience poll to see what gets funded first, but also might be a pain to manage. So maybe just a bounty bucket? This could be a great way to crowdfund hardware upgrades, studio equipment, meet up road trips, rents gallivanting, etc. Maybe something simple like a new ball mouse for Chris is a good start. <laughs> you know what? That's a clever idea. You could facilitate that with the splits, right? The bounty bucket split. And whatever goes in there is like a, a little bit of a budget we use mm -hmm. for something for the show or for like, yeah, gas for getting Brent down here or something like that. That's an interesting idea. The bounty bucket. Hmm. And we just, man, you know, you could just set up an Albi account that we three have the login to. Yeah, right? just a wallet that uh, yeah. holds just for that purpose. That feels like That'd a really easy. novel use of splits as well that I don't think I've heard discussed elsewhere. Like a project specific one versus connected to a person or organization. The only downside. Is it, you know, one more split is, it can be a fee, depending on the app, and it means one more prompt on the podcast index with yeah, Albert. And one more possibility to fail. Yeah, yeah, but I do really like the idea. So I'm writing that down because I have been thinking in the future, like, how do we do little events and things like mm -hmm. that when things are really tight? Like, I can't even personally afford to pay for the gas. Like, how do we actually do these events? And 
a bounty bucket could be a good way or could be a way to like, yeah, get a piece of hardware funded. Something I'm going to, I'm going to give more thought to. Thanks, Jeff. Mouse down Mike boosted in with 20,000 sats. How about adding more tiers to the Jupiter.party membership options? I imagine there are probably listeners that could and would contribute more than a $16 a month donation. Yeah, I mean, you could tell because a lot of them boost in. And so that's really, really generous. I need to also add an annual plan. And there's a lot I need to do there. I'm kind of restricted by the platform we use because what they require for each variation is essentially a a new plan, a whole new plan. And then that requires a lot of Q&A on our side to make sure when we publish something, all the plans are getting it. We're not putting the wrong stuff. So I've just gone really slow. But it is something I would seriously like to consider because obviously one of the upshots to the membership programs is it gives us some income predictability so we can make kind of plans and, and budgets and stuff like that, which is pretty nice for a business. It's one of those things that's it's okay to have that. It's okay. It's okay. Some guy named Noble Payne came in with uh, some cheap boosts, 4,444 yeah. cents <laughs> after all those. I'm not interested in supporting the show, really. <laughs> no, no, you were helping me test, right? Although I think you put some sort of secret message in here that I don't, I don't uh, know. We were curious. Like... We were noticing we got some um, boosts with some funny titles, and turns out if you boost from, like, the some clients let you boost from the, the general show page and not a single episode page, and that gets untitled episode. But depending on the, you know, the locale of the specific booster and their language, we're getting the phrase untitled episode pre-translated into uh, other languages. So I was trying to see if I could recreate that effect to make sure that's what was really going on. I put my Giraffean OS in Japanese uh, and thankfully managed to get it out of that mode afterwards, which I didn't consider before changing. <laughs> wow. I have done that too. And it was like, crap. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Sadly, all that trouble and we still got untitled episode in English. So uh, well, I don't know quite what's going on, but it's been a lot of fun. It's, you know, it's pretty nice to be able to pragmatically poke and, and prod at this and kind of get the results out and then generate these reports for us and help us track all this. So I uh, appreciate you testing. Soltros came in with 8,888 sats saying, I've been using Google Bard to generate Docker Compose files. It's life-changing. Huh. Have you used Bard to produce any kind of, like, config or any kind of output like that? Oh, yeah. It's, um, it can be handy for that. All, all the little tools are nice for, especially easy templated stuff or just quick, you know, transformations. Doubly so for things that you understand and you kind of get. And so it's, you, it's easy. It saves you time to generate, and then it's easy for you to check the Tweak results it. and make sure yeah. that you understand or if it needs a few yeah, changes. That's my there. thing. Is like I'll, I'll look at it as a template, but I'm probably going to have to replace everything it put in there with a few exceptions of maybe like the name and, and whatnot. But yeah. He put a zip code in there for us. Have you tracked that zip code down? Do a little zip code hunt. 48642 is the postal code in Michigan, including Midland, Larkin Charter Township, and uh, Williams Charter Township. Ooh. That's an interesting name. I bet there's a little bit of history there, right? Must be. The Golden Dragon comes in with some stepped-up support this week, 12,222 sats across two boosts. Doing a little pre-listen boosterini to continue to show the support, he says, and he goes on to say it was a great episode. I don't drink, but the Kentucky bourbon and Casey barbecue. I know I can't boost a lot, but what other ways can a guy like me contribute? It'd be a really great, sweet segment you, if you guys did. <laughs> you well, he's down for the barbecue Aww. segment. I know the time, talent, and treasure model, but what kind of things would JB need in those categories? You know, time-wise or, or talent, there is a lot of physical hardware projects here at the studio. A, a, a 
like an intern type person that could help us for a few weeks. Like everything from go through a, a literal stack of laptops, <laughs> figure out what's working that we can get Linux on and build the best Frankenstein laptop from that or desktops that are in that similar category or servers that need some Proxmox work. And just like the list go, the studio has a thousand little jobs in here. The list goes on and on. So there's lots of time things there. And then of course, for talent, there's a lot of web development projects we have on our GitHub over at github.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. One of the things we should probably do is spruce up our membership pages and stuff like that to make it more appealing to people. And if I'm going to add more tiers and levels, we'll have to come up with ways to show that in a way that reads well and all that kind of stuff is very useful. And then ultimately outside of that, like just as listening and spreading the word about a show, if you know somebody who's inclined to like this type of content, recommend the show to them because that's the only kind of marketing for podcasts that works. There's such a time commitment that you're only going to listen if somebody that you know recommends you listen. And so if there's somebody you could suggest the show to and help us grow during this time, uh, that also would be a great outcome because my intention is to just come on the outside of this with a, with a business that is more focused on the audience than ever, leaner and meaner, and then we just grow into whatever makes sense. Maybe we bring things back, that kind of stuff. And so uh, if we can grow the audience base during that time, even if the revenue base isn't growing, then we'll just be positioned for more success when things do turn around. So recommending the shows and that kind of stuff is a great help as well. Yeah, just drive around with the shows playing really loud. Real loud, mm -hmm. real loud. Yeah, and, and just crank the bass up because we do cut that down for listening. So what you're going to want to do is just really crank it, really crank it. Yeah, it makes Brent sound great. Yeah. Gene Bean boosts in with 4,270 sats. Hey, Gene! Great show this week, as always. Plus, just sending a test boost from Podcast Guru. Yes, Podcast Guru seems to be the new hot player in the podcasting 2.0 space. Oh, it's Android 2, huh? Yep, Android, iOS, and web. Light and powerful. I like the UI screenshots on here. I appreciate the finishing up on the web. Uh, I got to check it out. I have not tried it yet. But it looks like it supports boost. Podcastguru.io. If you're looking for a new fresh podcast app. Well, darn it. Now I got something to try after the show. I know. I know. Gene Bean's on the cutting edge, man. It's great. Thanks, Bean. Laud Impex comes in with 4,000 sats. Tell you what. You were right with the postcode. Wow, we got one right. We messed these up so often. It's really, this is nice to hear. My home country is Malaysia, but I've moved to Germany to pursue my studies. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, yes. thanks for letting us know. Good luck with your studies. We have really, really enjoyed the zip code boost. It's great to know where you are all at, and I'm consistently surprised. Every time, I'm surprised by the locations that come in. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you, everybody who did boost into the show. Uh, not all of them make it onto the air, but we appreciate everybody who takes the time. And your boost does get documented in our show notes, so we will be enshrined in this week's document forever. And, of course, those of you who stream those sats, we are greatly appreciative as well. Thank you very much for the folks that turned that on. And uh, if you'd like to boost into the show, you have two paths ahead of you, my friend. You can grab a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. They support the podcasting Twitter standard like Boost. Or you can keep your podcast app. I know some of you, you get kind of get like in a long-term relationship with that podcast app. I feel you. I used to be like that, too. But now I kind of... You play in the field over there. I catch around. Let's mm -hmm. just say that. Mm -hmm. I, catch, I catch around. So if you want to keep your podcast app, if you're in a monogamous relationship with your podcast, this is, you get what I'm saying. GetAlby.com. Yes. GetAlby.com. Go get Alby. And uh, then you just load it up with some sats either directly in the app or using something like the Cash app or the Strike app, which is now like all over the world. They just went into like 65 more countries in the last week. 
And then you can just top it off with a few sats and send them in using Albie and the podcast index, podcastindex.org. We got, uh, we got the uh, links in the show notes. You really don't have to worry about any of this. You just click the links and you can send in your message and you can support us. And of course, thank you to our members who continue to invest unpluggedcore.com or jupiter.party. So that way we kind of know where we're going and uh, keep us on the straight and narrow in the boom times and keep us sustained in the lean times. So thank you, everybody. This is a value for value podcast that is in it for the long haul. That's why we dedicate this much of the show to our audience is because we do it for them. And we hope to be doing it for a very long time. Again, I want to see these guys as adorable old men. Brent, you found our pick this week and it looks like a doozy. Yeah, it was a last minute find just this morning. And we've been sort of wanting this for quite a long time. This might be a thing that solves a few little issues whenever we're looking into our back catalog was my thought. YouTube-FTS. It's YouTube full text search. And the idea is you can search all of a YouTube's channel's subtitles for a particular text string using the command line. That's slick. Wes, I think you gave this a try, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I sure did. Now, you are going to have to download, but what I love about YTFTS is it's building on the shoulders of giants, right? Under the hood, it's using YTDLP to actually go find all the videos in the particular channel you list, right? And then for each video in there, it goes and downloads the YouTube subtitles that YouTube's already pre-computed for them, then it sticks that into a local SQLite database. And then that's how you can implement, you, know, you basically first do a download, which, you know, goes and sucks in all the subtitle files. It indexes them, sticks them in SQLite, and then you can do a search and it'll pop up with a neat little summary of, you know, all the, all the places that found the string you're searching for. And it does all of that in seconds, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty quick overall. It, what does, it have to, does it have to pull down anything more than the transcript file? Does it, pull, it doesn't pull down the whole well, video? Well, besides some JSON and metadata uh -huh, to you uh -huh. know, find all the episodes and iterate through them. But yeah, it's pretty quick. I did it. Um, I was trying to do it on JB, but we've got something like 4,000 videos. Yeah, almost 5,000 public videos, yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, you might have to futz around a little bit with channels that are sort of linked depending on the back end. I pointed it at what I thought was JB's, but it actually downloaded all of your personal vlog My videos. My old videos that haven't been touched in years. That was uh, actually kind of a perfect test, though, because there's only 66 of them, and that meant it went, yeah. went pretty darn quick. You know, uh, this is really handy because one of the things that was, like, pulling me towards Bard, which I hate to even say, but, you know, Google's AI thing, mm -hmm. is Bard can search the contents of YouTube channels. So you can say, hey, Bard, what does this YouTube channel say about XYZ? And it can go through the transcripts for that YouTube channel and tell you their take on, you know, some topic. Assuming it's right, it's very handy. Wait, have you, have you tried that with yourself yet? No, actually. That would be the best way to find out if that is, uh, if it's accurate or not. But I like this better to be fully honest with you because a you can do it on your own machine and b you're just looking for certain text strings and stuff it doesn't need to have the whole ai interpretation which could be wrong yeah and plus you can um you can do an export too so if you're trying to do something oh. on mass you're doing research you want to follow up or feed it into another script there's an export option which will do the search and then dump the results into a csv file for later processing could be a great way to keep track of all the ludicrous things brent says on air great. you know I, oh they are many just build a little note file Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We've got him this time. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll have a link to all that stuff, like uh, ut-fts, linuxunplugged.com slash 511 for today's links. We'll have a few supporting links for our X11 Wayland discussion and uh, all the other good things that we talked about in the show. linuxunplugged.com slash 511 plus links to everything else, like 
our contact page, the RSS feed, and a great deal more. And then you can find us live over jblive.tv at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Indeed. And it's archived over at jupiter.tube. And we make a complete recording that has been produced for our members available as a thank you for those of you who support the show as a member. More of us, more antics, yeah. a whole lot less scripting. Yeah. A lot less unplugged, even more unplugged. I don't know what that'd be called, but it's more unplugged. Anyways, if you want a little bit more Wes and I, go get Linux Action News. Lean, mean, and just what you need to know in the world of Linux and open source every single week, linuxactionnews.com. As for us, well, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Unplugged program. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday. Brent, when it's your birthday, do you do you do like a special twins birthday is when you were growing up? Like it's not just your day, it's your brother's day. Maybe too. they rotate, you know? Oh, that's that's not a bad strategy. It has evolved. You know, I remember being uh, young as a kid with my parents, we would, you know, my parents were great because they tried to make us feel as individuals, but inevitably you just can't. So what would end up happening is we'd each have like our favorite cake uh, and I think he would always choose a cheesecake and I forget what I would choose. But anyways, everybody wins. I mean, there's so many great things. It's like having two birthdays, basically. And as that has evolved, you know, we used to live in different cities. So, you know, sometimes we would get in the same city and celebrate a birthday, which was always fun. But these days we're living on the same piece of land. So uh, it makes it pretty easy. So I don't know what we're going to do this time around, but I'll report back. I'm sure it's going to be a special one. Hot tub birthday cake. Yeah, really <laughs> now you're talking. All right, so before we go, we got a little bit of little bit of house business to take care of. I don't know. Should, I don't know if we want to air our dirty laundry on air. So maybe the cone of science. Yeah, come on in. Come on in. Uh, so I believe Danny Forty Two is our topic winner. He came in with that row of extreme McDucks there, the two hundred twenty-two thousand two hundred twenty-two sats, and he's the one that suggested the week in Rust. Now I think we could probably do this. But we probably want to come up with some parameters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do we want to all be using the same Rust tools or do we want to each go out on our own and find our own Rust tools? Right. Maybe we've got some like, yeah, as you say, parameters, some categories, some stuff that we're trying to replace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think, Brentley? I love the idea of finding our own. It feels like okay. one of those, you know, bring your own topic episodes that we do on occasion. I bet you we're going to find some a, a variety, like a grab bag of great tools. Next week, then, is going to be our rusty birthday batch. So if you're still listening, you got to send us in your rust tool suggestions and your birthday wishes for Brent, because it's going to be, I think we're going to have a lot of fun.